Welcome to the AWS Tech Chat. We're solution architects based in APAC, and we help customers adopt the AWS Cloud Platform. In each episode, we talk about the latest and most interesting technical developments in the world of AWS Cloud. We bring you the AWS Roundup and deep tech dives into topics of interest. My name is Shane Baldacino with the AWS Tech Chat podcast, and today we finish our three-part series covering reInvent 2018. And once again, I have my fellow co-host, Tom McMeekin, with me. G'day, Shane. Great to be back again, and it's awesome to uh, to dive deep again around the reInvent announcements that we uh, came across in 2018. That's it. All right. So in the last two episodes, we've covered announcements around infrastructure, so compute, storage, and so on, as well as AI and ML services. And today, we're going to bring you an episode for the builders builders who want to rapidly push out new software and at reInvent 2018 there was plenty of announcements that tick that box and help you meet that brief. So today we're going to going to provide a look through the lens of a developer and provide you with a more application focused episode. So they say software is eating the world and it often changes how we do things day to day. We now have smartphones with nothing but a screen and cars are moving to a tablet style interface and you know there are real advantages. Software in general can be cheaper to produce, quicker to change, quicker to update, and overall just be more flexible. So let's start today with an update that was released at reInvent that I expect will really resonate with developers in those operation positions. Hey Shane, before you do jump into the first announcement um, that was off, off the announcements uh, at reInvent, I just want to um, touch on some exciting news that has been um, recently announced um, and that's really around our 69th price drop. Now this is somewhat related to the firecracker announcements that yourself and Dr. Pete mentioned back in uh, episode 37, so our first reInvent 2018 recap. Uh, and this is where Firecracker enables the lightweight virtual machines called micro VMs. Now, micro VMs can initiate code faster with less overhead and effectively providing more efficiencies. Uh, now, this 69th price drop is focused around um, really off the back of the efficiencies we're gaining in Fargate and it's helping us pass on these cost savings to customers. Yes, that's awesome, Tom. So effective January 7th, 2019, Fargate pricing per vCPU has been reduced by 20% and pricing per gig of memory per second has been reduced by 65%. So depending on the ratio of CPU to memory you're allocating for your containers, you can see an overall price reduction of anywhere from 35 to 50%. Cool. All right, so on with the updates. First, a quick update on one of my favorite services. You know, of all my AWS services, I really love AWS Step Functions. And as we know, AWS Step Functions is a fully managed workflow that allows you to keep your business logic separate from your workflow logic. It is such a versatile service where customers you know, create Lambda functions to implement their business logic, but we've seen customers use Step Functions and Lambda to perform some common integration patterns to AWS services. And this is usually done via Lambda Glue. You know, you would create a Lambda function which might make a call out to say Amazon Simple Notification Service and return a message via Lambda. This did though require customers to create those Lambda functions. So your wishes have been answered and Step Functions now has support for native integration into eight more AWS services via Step Functions API connectors. The services to which Step Functions now has integration with is DynamoDB, AWS Batch, Amazon ECS, Amazon SNS, Amazon SQS, AWS Glue, and Amazon SageMaker. So what this means is Step Functions can do more than just Lambda. And we know Lambda is amazing, but this just makes the service even more flexible. 
This helps you quickly automate workflows for applications that need to run batch processing jobs, process media or data files, send notifications, and etc. So what step functions will do, it will pause the execution of the workflow until the invoke job or task has been completed and then either retry or continue to the next step in the workflow, you know, just as step functions usually operates. And if you've been using step functions and you log into the console now, you'll notice it has a drag and drop console interface. So you can define entire workflows across many AWS services without writing Lambda code at each step. How cool it's, is that? That's pretty awesome, Shane. Another thing you'll probably find is if you go into the console, you will see the sample projects that reflect those integration or a lot of those integration services um, that you've mentioned there and really uh, helping customers bootstrap these integration pieces that they might be looking to do and, and iterate over a DynamoDB table, for example, is, is one of those sample projects. Um, so yeah, I'd encourage customers or listeners out there to, to go into the console and start to play around and experiment. That's it. Have a play. So Shane, moving right along to our next announcements. One of the great changes in IT today is seeing organizations shift towards serverless computing. And the service that really has pioneered this is AWS Lambda. Now, in case you're not familiar with Lambda, AWS Lambda lets you run code without provisioning or managing servers. You just upload your code and Lambda takes care of everything required to run and scale your code with high availability. What's awesome is you only pay for the compute time you consume. There's no charge for when your code is not running. Now, this type of compute is often referred to function as a service um, or FAS. Now, um, Shane, over to you. That's Lambda 101 done. Um, what's some of the announcements that have been made at reInvent uh, around Lambda? Okay, so Tom, the reInvent announcement is around Lambda, but more specifically around application load balancer. As application load balancer now supports AWS Lambda functions as targets to serve HTTP and HTTPS requests. This is game changing and I expect this sort of architecture to be cropping up in our customers as we start 2019. And it goes back to what I mentioned earlier, that software is eating the world. This announcement makes it easier than ever to expose your Lambda functions to the world. Prior to this launch, you could only use EC2 instances, containers, and on-premises servers as targets for application load balancers. And you needed other proxy solutions, you know, such as API Gateway to invoke Lambda functions over HTTP and HTTPS. This simplifies operations and makes it one step easier to just embrace serverless computing. Now, this feature is only available on layer seven load balancers, so not the, the classic or network load balancer. Now, with the application load balancer's support for content-based routing rules, you can also route requests to different Lambda functions based on the requested content. Yeah, Shane, so this is, this is really exciting because it's a really good way to get started as you slowly port your existing applications over to Lambda. You know, this is especially useful for hybrid applications where requests from specific domains or URLs are handled with instances or even legacy on-premises hosts. And other requests are handled with serverless infrastructure provided by AWS Lambda. Now, a good example of this is you might choose to migrate the user content or sorry, user account management functionality uh, from an existing application to a serverless setup using the content-based routing provided by ALBs, application load balancers. Um, you can specify that every request that starts with, say, slash account triggers an AWS Lambda function. So that's pretty easy, Shane, and it provides a great migration path for customers who are looking to transform their applications over to serverless. Okay, so I had to play with this. So it is pretty easy, but there are a few gotchas. All right, so number one, if you create the ALB target group and register the Lambda function using the AWS Management Console, 
which is how I did this, the console adds the required permissions to your Lambda function policy on your behalf. If you're not using the console and you're doing this in a programmatic manner, which you know a lot of customers will be, after you create the target group and register the function using the using the AWS CLI, you must add you must use the add permission command and grant the load balancer permission to invoke your Lambda function. And being security conscious, we recommend that you include the source ARN parameter to restrict the function invocation to only the specified target group. The second thing that you want to be aware of is the ALB adds headers to which your Lambda function can use. So the ALB will send an event in JSON format and adds the following headers to every request. So it's the it's the X Amazon Trace ID, the X Forward 4, so that one, you know, very important to finding out the source, uh, the real source IP, the forwarded port, and the X Forwarded Proto. Now, if you're, if the content type, so we're talking the MIME type here, is either text slash star, application slash JSON, application slash JavaScript, and application slash XML, the ALB sends the body to the Lambda function, and it sets is base64 encoded to false. So for all other types, the ALB will base64 encode the body and set the is base64 encoded to true. And lastly, responses from Lambda functions. The response from your Lambda function must include the base64 encoding status, status code, status description, and headers. So you can admit the body, but the status description header must contain the status code and the reason phrase separated by a single space. To include binary content in the body of the response, you must base64 encode the content and set is base64 encoded to true. The ALB decodes the content to retrieve the binary content and sends it to the client in the body of the HTTP response. And because the ALB does not honor hop-by-hop -hop headers such as connection or transfer encoding, you can emit the content length header because the ALB computes it before sending the response back to clients. Support for Lambda invocation via application load balancers is available for existing and new application load balancers. So really cool stuff. So sticking with Lambda here because we have another announcement. You know, if you think about any modular software application, you'll often start by authoring, by including libraries, you know, configuration files, because this approach can speed up software development and simplify the process of, you know, getting your code out quickly. And this is something, you know, if I rewind 10 years ago, I would always start my classic ASP with, you know, include files. Um, you know, and typically a Lambda function would be a small discrete function, but it's becoming more common as serverless becomes more of a norm in the, in the industry these days that patterns get defined. You know, you might have a set of building blocks to say perform authentication, and it's far more efficient to include this in your code via an include than to include the logic in your function itself. And as a developer, you want to avoid errors that can occur when you install package dependencies with your function code. You want to keep your deployment packages small and clean. So that being said, I'm thrilled to announce Lambda Layers. So Lambda Layers is a way to centrally manage code and data that is shared across multiple functions. Code can be managed in separate packages and joined at execution time into one or more Lambda functions. This allows teams you know, to share libraries, packages without having to replicate the shared code. Layers lets you keep your deployment packages small, which makes you know, de development easier. And you can avoid errors that can occur when you install package dependencies with your function code. So a Lambda layer is a zip archive that contains libraries, you know, custom runtimes or other dependencies. With layers, 
you can use libraries in your functions without needing to include them in your deployment packet. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, Shane. I've been playing around a little bit with Lambda layers, um, and uh, you know, I really like the the, the notion of um, creating or abstraction layers away from the core code that you um, or that I've historically been building with my functions, and, and sort of start to centralize those those libraries and the the I guess the common um, uh, code patterns that I've been utilizing um, into those Lambda layers. So diving a little bit deeper with Lambda layers, uh, a function can support up to five layers at a time. Um, there's also some sizing restrictions that you need to just be conscious of. Uh, so the each, each uh, Lambda function um, package size has a size limit of 250 megabytes. Now this is unzipped uh, package size. So something to be mindful of as you start to look at Lambda layers and, and, and adopt those um, throughout your, your functions. Now, you can also create layers and use layers published by AWS um, and also um, with, within uh, various different AWS accounts. So you can start to think about how you could, how you could look to centralize or manage um, various different library and dependencies that you might be um, utilizing within your Lambda or serverless environment today. Um, but also look at the AWS provided uh, Lambda layers that we, we have made available for customers. At this point in time, we've, we have a, a Lambda layer um, that encompasses NumPy and SciPy. Um, as part of that Lambda layer. So for all our, our customers and listeners out there who are utilizing Lambda for data processing and machine learning, which is a, absolutely a great use case for AWS Lambda, um, then I'd, I'd encourage you to check that out. Now, as layers are extracted, they're extracted to the OPT or the op directory um, in the function execution environment. Now, each runtime looks for libraries um, in a different location under this folder. Uh, so depending on the language, whether it's Ruby or, or Python, et cetera, uh, just be mindful of where you're going to be structuring these, these libraries um, under that. Um, the other thing to, to be mindful of is, is the ordering of the layers. So as I mentioned, there's a, you can have up to five layers of that Lambda function. Uh, now the the layers are extracted in that order um, of the of those layers, so and they're extracted into that same location in that same folder. So again, um, if you if you may have version clashes, etc., uh, within your library dependencies, just just be conscious of that. Uh, AWS server application model uh, support um, has is, is, is we have full support for AWS SAM for for managing your AWS Lambda layers, which is awesome to be able to continue to leverage the the familiar tool of choice for our customers in in the serverless um, development um, ecosystem. And also with cloud security at AWS being the highest priority, of course, IAM is baked into the Lambda layers. Now layer usage permissions are managed on the resources. Um, to configure a function with a layer, you'd need permission to call get layer version on that version layer. Um, for functions in your account, you can get the permission from your user policy or from the function's resource-based policy. So to use a layer in another account, you need permissions on your user policy and the owner of the other account must grant your account permission with a resource-based policy. So it's something, again, to be mindful as you start to consolidate and share amongst your various AWS accounts. Now, to grant permission to all AWS accounts, use the star um, or the wildcard um, for, for the principal and omit the organization ID. To grant permissions to a single account, use the account number for the principal. Uh, for multiple accounts or organizations, you can add multiple statements, which is um, good to see because there's lot, uh, as there's lots of flexibility there. Now, uh, permissions are only applied to a single version of a layer. So repeat the procedure on each time you create a new layer version. Uh, so as you create or upload um, a new layer, um, 
of an existing layer, there's a new version that is created, Shane. So when you go into the console, you, you can see those multiple different versions of that same layer um, be available to you. So again, being able to have that full life cycle and visibility of changes that are made in those Lambda layers. Good one. Okay, so all well and good to talk the talk, but I actually found some time to walk the walk this week for Tech Chat. So I got my hands dirty and created some Lambda functions with layers. So once you get your head around it, it really isn't that hard. So I think just to paraphrase everything you've said there, Tom, in a nutshell, I think there are really three steps. So the first step you need to do is to create your layer. So I uploaded it within the Lambda console under layers. So under in the Lambda console now, there is a section for layers and you need to ensure you specify the framework that can use this layer. Now, this was something I initially forgot to do and it meant I couldn't wire up the Lambda function as the Lambda function couldn't see the layer that I created once it was created. And you can't edit it after you've created the layer. So that's something that caught me out, but you can delete it. And as you mentioned before, ensure the path structure under the forward slash OPT or op directory is adhered to. Again, see the documentation based on your runtime. In my example that I was coding in, I was using Python 2.7. So step two really is, you know, have your code include the layer. For Python, it was simply a matter of using an import with the function name. You know, example, import custom function as blah. And lastly, in the function configuration, select the Lambda layer as I mentioned. And if you forget to specify the runtime, it won't be listed by Lambda. So ensure that when you're creating your Lambda layer, you specify the runtime for that layer. Lambda layers are available in all regions where Lambda is available. Now, you would probably think we're all out of Lambda announcements. We just spoke about two big ones here, and I feel like an infomercial guy saying this, but Tom, I believe there is one more. So to set the scene here, with Lambda, we support various runtimes. And if my memory serves me correctly, there's Node.js, C Sharp, PowerShell, Python, Java, Go, and Ruby with various different versions of each runtime. But what if you needed to execute, say, something in C or insert any other language that Lambda doesn't offer? Now, before reInvent, you are hard out of luck. You could get creative by wrapping, but that was hard work, not officially supported by us and, you know, pretty ugly code. We're doing indeed, Shane, uh, introducing Lambda custom runtimes. Now, the runtime API for AWS Lambda defines a sta standardized HTTP-based specification which codifies how Lambda and a function runtime communicate. It enables you to build custom runtimes that integrate with Lambda to execute functions in response to events. By leveraging the runtime API, you can use binaries or shell scripts uh, for uh, for the uh, operations or administrators out there um, and your choice of programming languages and language versions. Getting started with the runtime API is simple. When you're deploying your function using the Lambda Management Console or CLI, specify that you're providing your own runtime. So in the console, this is at the very bottom of the list of runtimes. So you have your list of runtimes and at the bottom, there is a custom runtime. So during an invocation, Lambda will bootstrap your runtime code and communicate with it over the runtime API to execute the function code. With this release, we're also publishing, publishing a reference implementation of the C++, C++ and Rust runtimes. So a runtime is responsible for running the function's setup code, reading the handle name from an environment variable and reading invocation events from the Lambda runtime API. The runtime passes the event data to the function handler and posts a response from the handler back to Lambda. Your custom runtime 
runs in the standard Lambda execution environment. It can be a shell script, a script in a language that's included in Amazon Linux, or a binary executable file that's compiled in Amazon Linux. But Shane, what's also exciting is this the, the notion of building a custom runtime. Now, custom runtime's entry point is really governed by an executable file called Bootstrap. Now, the Bootstrap file can be used um, or can be the runtime um, and can encompass the runtime um, elements, or it can be used to invoke another file that creates a runtime. Now, a great example of a custom custom runtime that's been uh, made available is the work that um, we've we've done with with Rackspace around enabling PHP custom runtime environment. Uh, and there's a there's a great blog article out there that really steps through the the steps required to start to build up your PHP custom runtime environment. Very cool stuff indeed. With both layers and custom runtimes, it's exciting times in the serverless space and I'm looking forward to seeing some of these capabilities in modern backends and backends that drive mobile or web-based applications. Layers and regions are available in all regions that have AWS Lambda. Speaking of mobile and web apps, the JavaScript ecosystem is thriving. Every day there are new use cases and functionality popping up across web and mobile ecosystems. In fact, at reInvent 2017, we announced AWS Amplifier, an open source declarative JavaScript framework. Yeah, Shane, so the Amplify framework provided uh, a couple of things to customers. Uh, first, it provided a, a library for simplifying the connectivity from your front end to, into some of the AWS serverless services um, that was driving the back end for your web and um, mobile application development, but it also provided a CLI. Now, the CLI simplified the provisioning of the serverless back end resources. You know, for example, if you wanted to stand up a GraphQL API stack using AWS AppSync, um, a REST API stack using a Amazon API Gateway or even AWS Lambda um, or authentication driven through Amazon Cognito. Um, the CLI helped you bring to or scaffold these services um, quickly and easily all through the CLI uh, and to really remove that maybe the, 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 um, that the double workflow um, patterns that customer developers were, were going through to have to jump between uh, your IDE, your CLI, and also the AWS um, console. Uh, so really there to, to simplify um, the development workflows and, and get customers building web and mobile applications quickly and easily. Now to complement this framework, um, as part of reInvent uh, 2018, uh, AWS Amplify Console was launched. Now, AWS Amplify Console provides a continuous delivery and hosting service for mobile and web applications. Again, it's aimed at accelerating your application release cycle. So super excited there, Shane. That sounds great, Tom, but don't judge me. I'm a React kind of guy. What dev frameworks are supported? Yeah, so, the, so all the common uh, uh, single-page uh, app front-end frameworks are supported. So we have React, Angular, Vue.js, Ionic, Ember, all there available for developers to, to utilize. Um, and we also support uh, static site generators like Gatsby, Eleventy, Hugo, Viewpress, and Jekyll available there for customers too. Uh, so how does AWS Amplify work? So, um, so getting started is pretty easy. Uh, you know, you, you, from a console standpoint, you go to the AWS console, you connect a branch, so your Git branch from a from your source repository, whether it's GitHub, Bitbucket, GitLab, or even AWS CoCommit, and then from there, Amplify console will automatically take that repo, clone that repo, and automatically deploy and host your application uh, at a predefined um, namespace. By default, uh, that that um, is a namespace that's hosted by AWS, but you can certainly bring in uh, custom domain namespaces as part of that hosting for your application. 
Um, and effectively, what happens is once you've connected your or wired up your your uh, GitHub repo uh, to AWS console on your next co-commit, uh, Amplify will then go through um, and picking up um, your changes, your code changes automatically, and it will kick off a build process. So this build process is, is driven by uh, code build. Um, and uh, it creates a temporary compute container uh, based on four vCPU, seven gig of RAM, um, downloads your source code, and then will execute the build commands specified in your project. Now, for you uh, listeners out there who are familiar with CoBuild's um, build spec YAML template file, um, then this should be really familiar territory for you. Some of the new um, aspects and you'll see as part of you flip through the AWS uh, Amplify console is that it will detect the front end and back end components and then uh, deploy these um, in a separate notion um, or separate element. Now, when you when it, the, the deployment um, that AWS console goes through um, is, is atomic. Uh, so this is super important. And what this means is, is that the site um, that as it's being deployed uh, won't be made available until the backend, uh, backend components have been completely deployed and, and stood up successfully uh, before the front-end deployment takes place. Um, and so that's, that's super important for, for effectively um, avoiding any partial rollouts that you might have in your C, uh, c uh, continuous deployment pipeline. Now, from an application deployment standpoint, uh, AWS um, Amplify Console deploys the app leveraging Amazon CloudFront's global edge network. So effectively deploying your front-end application um, out to uh, distributedly across our 144 points of presence, across 65 cities, 29 countries globally, uh, to deliver content to your end users at super low latency. Now, the other element that's also been um, announced as part of the AWS Amplify uh, ecosystem is multi-environment support. Now, the multi-environment support complements the Amplify console um, as it enables Amplify console to leverage Git's branching model uh, to create new environments every time your developers push code to a new branch. So this is allowing developers to work in their own separate um, sandbox environments and, if, and again, use Git, which is a familiar mechanism to merge code and resolve conflicts as you're deploying your different versions of your application. Uh, this, uh, this section of the AWS Amplify um, components, so the multi-environment support, is in, the, is in beta only at the moment. So you do need to ensure that you have the beta version of the CLI installed in your development environment um, if you're looking to utilize that. Nice one. All right, and with that, everyone, we are out of time today and this ends our three-part reInvent special. Hopefully, this series gave you a taste of some of the major announcements at reInvent and just to recap what we spoke about today, we spoke about Lambda, 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 so just a few announcements there. Firstly, the ability to use Lambda as a target for application load balancer as this simplifies operations and makes it one step easier to embrace serverless computing. We talked about Lambda layers, which lets you keep your deployment packages small by removing dependencies into layers rather than keeping them in your function. And Lambda custom runtime, which enables you to build custom runtimes outside of what is offered by Lambda that integrates with Lambda to execute functions in response to events. Tom introduces to the AWS Amplify console, which provides a continuous delivery and hosting service for mobile and web applications. And we spoke about Step Functions API connectors and their native integration with other AWS services. And as always, thank you, Tom, for your time today. And we love to hear your feedback. So please drop us an email on awstechchat at amazon.com. And until next time, keep building. Bye for now. 
signing off. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends, tell your colleagues, and tune in again to learn about AWS Cloud. Please subscribe to AWS Tech Chat by visiting www.awstechchat.com.